Hi everyone, this is David Wolf. I'm excited to get right into this week's episode of Beyond the Summit, but before we do that, I want to ask you for a little help supporting the show, and it costs absolutely nothing to you except 10 seconds of your time right now. If you could go into the podcast platform that you are listening to this episode on and rate the show with five stars, that would help spread the word and the incredible messages that our guests give to us each and every week. You can leave a comment or review of what you thought about previous episodes or wait to the end of the show and leave your review then. Now look, if you don't like the episode, when you're done, you can go ahead and change your rating as well. That's perfectly fine. But thanks so much again for listening to Beyond the Summit and supporting the podcast each and every week. Welcome to Beyond the Summit, where we journey into the heart of human potential. I am your host, David Wolf. Here we will engage with extraordinary minds, unlock secrets of success, and discover what fuels happiness in our extraordinary guests. Prepare to be inspired, to grow, and to see beyond your own summit. here at Mountain City, Tennessee. So Mountain City, Tennessee, it's like this very rural area, right? It's gorgeous. And this is your fi- first time being here. But yesterday it rained all day and you went to a movie. And what did you see? I saw Barbie. <laughs> Barbie movie. No, I did not see Barbie. I was supposed to go see Oppenheimer. And then I showed up and the theater was completely full, even though I bought a ticket. Um, so I actually ended up going to see The Sound of Freedom, which yeah. was amazing. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. I heard Oppenheimer was the bomb. I'm going to see Oppenheimer this weekend. Oh, oh, that was a joke. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to see Oppenheimer this, or Oppenheimer this weekend, but no, Sound of Freedom was great. All right. So is the movie, like movie theaters by me in, in Cincinnati, they're nice. Well, some of them are crummy and old, but, you know, the reclining st- seats, you know, the big seats. Yeah, this one wasn't that nice, but it was nice to get out of the rain for a little bit. Was it like stuck in the 1970s kind of theater? Yeah. How much does a ticket cost in Mountain City, Tennessee? I think there it was $8, but I bought it online prior, which was 11 oh. Wow. You, you, you lost out on that deal. Like, you have gift cards to a movie theater in Mountain City, Tennessee. No, I have a gift card to Fandango. Oh, Fandango. Fandango. So this is actually part of... I don't know. We called part two last last week's episode was Sandy's uncle Tim Gaskins, and that was an amazing uh, podcast. Go back and listen to that episode. Uh, but Sandy's here because she has her own success stories. What the hell's your success story? Wow! <laughs> what the hell is your success? <laughs> the Gaskins family part one and two. That's right. What name them. <laughs> All right. So it's I guess your journey. So you. Tim is Tim's. What do you call him? Your your half dad, right? He's my uncle, and he loves to tell people the story that he's twenty five percent, or I'm twenty five percent of him. Okay, because he's identical twins with my father, and since you know my mom and dad, so I'm fifty percent of each of them, and then since him and Tim share their age or whatever, so they're each fifty percent of that half. So he's technically twenty five percent of me. Right. He loves telling people that. Okay. So right now, Sandy is working for Aviator Paramotor, shipping, handling, uh, fulfillment. Yeah. Is it fulfilling? Yes. I'm thinking all of our shipping or receiving, customer service, that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. 
So she really kind of, what did you do before like getting into this paramotor world? So actually, um, my life completely flipped upside down when I went into the paramotor world because beforehand I lived up in Northeast Georgia and worked for the power company. I'd started when I was 17 as an intern and I worked there for four years as an intern and then two years doing power line design. And so I worked a normal nine to five. Um, I was out in the field and then I would do design work in the office, um, totally different lifestyle. And then I had a house and all that. I was very stable. And the company I worked for is amazing. It's one of the best companies in the country that you can work for, especially in that industry. And it's one of those companies that you don't leave unless you retire or pass away. And so the thought of leaving was a huge life change. I mean, so from going from a super stable job that I could retire from and move up in that company, going and quitting that and moving into a camper instead of a house, it was a total life flip. So so why did you decide to leave that? I had the sense of adventure in me. My original plan um, from high school was I was going to graduate college, take a year off, travel the country living in a van, and then come back and start working, get that adventure out of me. And I didn't. When I got the full-time job offer that I did at the time, I had just gotten my associate's degree and I was 20 at the time. It was actually about two months after, or maybe a month right after my dad had passed that I got this job offer. And it was an amazing, amazing job that I never thought I would have been able to start out in because I was the I'm pretty sure I'm the youngest person from the company that ever had that job and the only female who's ever had that job. And so getting an opportunity like that, I couldn't pass it up. And so I didn't go do the adventure. And so I've always been longing for it. And then when I went to Aviator and met Jillian and Dave and Ross and Judson and all of them who were living these adventurous lives and living in bands and getting to travel and having this more free-flowing lifestyle, it was already something that I knew I wanted and I just had to make it happen. And I didn't even leave Aviator knowing it was going to happen. I knew it. I wanted it to, but too many things happen within the following months. Within four months of me leaving Aviator, too many things fell into place exactly where they needed to, that it was the perfect opportunity and I couldn't pass it up. What do you mean leaving Aviator? Like leaving um, Aviator from training. When I oh, training. gotcha. Yeah, when I left training, the whole time I was there, I kept joking about how much I would love to be there and work there and move down there. Uh, but it was unrealistic at the time. But then within the next four months, pieces just fell into place. So. Okay. Yeah. What do you see as your long-term goals? What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah, that's a I am too, honestly. So... I also have rental properties, and so I've always known I wanted to do that. I come from a family of entrepreneurs, and so business and working for yourself has always not been ingrained in me, but it's something that I knew I wanted to do. I want that freedom. I want that lifestyle. I want to be able to decide what happens with my life, and so I'm still in the process of not knowing. I... I'm actually transitioning out of my position at Aviator from what I'm currently doing so that I don't have to be in the office in a physical job every day so that I can be able to be more free. And so I'm really excited about that. What is it that you're transferring to? So I don't know. Okay. 
leaving Aviator per se. I'm going to still be there and be part of the family. Um, I think I'm going to do some internships with them, with training, you know, um, becoming an instructor possibly. But um, I'm not really sure exactly what's in the future. I have, there's too many opportunities for me to decide right now. I'm kind of leaving it open because there's been a lot of different things I want to do. And I there's multiple business ideas that I have. And so I'm going to take some time to feel them out and then decide. I Like I said, I currently have rental properties that I want to put some more focus on in the near future. And then from there, I want to just see how I can start building my life to be more of the freedom and the what I want. So let's go back and talk about, you said you, you come from a family of entrepreneurs. So who has been your biggest role model in that way from your family? Easily my dad. Okay. Easily. Tell us about your dad. You said your dad passed away. Yeah. So my mom and dad, my whole family um, is a really cool, all of them. I love my family to death where they're, I want to be able to do anything. And I'm thankful for everything because nothing would have been able to happen without my parents and my family. So my parents actually had me, I was a surprise baby. My mom was 40 when she had me. She had just retired from the reins and her, my dad just had just gotten married and they had my brother two years before me. And I was a complete shock. They had no idea. And so my dad, though, he did a lot of things throughout his life. He was kind of a nomad. He lived many places. He had many businesses. He had a mechanics shop when he was younger. Um, He's lived in Alaska. He's worked on boats. He's done so many different things with his life. And so when he moved to Georgia, though, he was going to open an AC business. And so when I was a baby... When I was a baby, they opened an AC business. And when I was born, I've always told this story about whenever I was born, we lived in a 500 square foot apartment with five, seven, eight, seven people, I believe, in a 500 square foot apartment, one bedroom. They built out a second tiny little bedroom for my older siblings. But me and my mom and my dad and my brother, we lived in one bedroom. And um, as I grew up, though, so did the business. And so my dad, they had this dream. They came to Georgia. They built a building with a little apartment on this property with the plans one day to build a house. And he started a business, an AC business. And as I grew, the business grew. And I didn't know it at the time. But when I was, so we, I grew up in a 500 square foot apartment. And then whenever I was going into Elmery School, we moved into a double wide trailer in a in a neighborhood and then by the time I was going into sixth grade my parents bought this beautiful house in Jefferson Georgia in um, a beautiful neighborhood I mean and it's a huge four bedroom three bathroom you know one of the it's a big house and maybe not those exact statistics I can't remember but it was just seeing that now seeing how I grew with the business you know and it kind of now I look back at it and so doing that and my dad also had rental properties my mom and dad also had rental properties so they had a lot of different income streams my mom was already retired they had that and so seeing how they grew up how my dad always worked so hard for everything he ever had um and just seeing that and seeing me grow up in that also my almost all my siblings have businesses now and so when i was younger i was probably 10 when my brother started his business and so I've been able to see him grow that and become successful in his business. He owns a motorcycle powder coating shop. And so I, I, even now, like, or well, 
when I lived in Georgia, after work sometimes, I would just go over and hang out with him in his shop and, you know, see what he's grown for himself. My sister and her husband, her husband owns a shop, a cabinetry shop. And so it's all different kinds of things. It's what's your passion about. And every person in my family has found what they're passionate about and try to grow that and live on that. And I, I, I love that. And so I've always wanted to do that too. Um, I also was, I'm the baby of five. And so, like I said, I was a surprise. So my oldest sister's 20 years older than me. And my two middle siblings are 10 and 12 years older than me. So I grew up with those influences, getting to watch them and their decisions and seeing them through high school and college and then becoming adults and making those decisions when I was 12 and 13 years old. I was watching every decision they were making and seeing how it affected them. And so I really got those um, core aspects and like uh, values and decision making and seeing how every single decision affects your life that was like ingrained in me not even by my parents it was just like my how my brain took in everything and really processed that and I grew from that a lot I had whenever I was younger I'd be sitting at a table with adults I mean I'd be a 15 year old kid and I'd be having adult conversations with them and they're saying you're so mature for your age and I really I give that back to being so young with older siblings and watching them and also how my parents raised me, you know, because they also would raise me to make good decisions and all of that kind of thing. So that really was what brought me up and has me in the mindset I am today. That and one other thing is really like what brought me to who I am today is my family. And then another story I'll tell you. Go ahead. I mean, I... (laughs) Well, I feel like you're not talking to me. Well, hey, look, the sometimes people like when I just keep my mouth quiet. It's better for everybody. I it, we'll come back to that story, okay? Because you did. There was two things that you mentioned in there that I wanted to talk about. The first one, watching your siblings make these entrepreneurial decisions, and and I think a lot of people would love to have their own business and work for themselves. I think the biggest challenge comes from deciding what is it actually going to be and how to execute that. Yeah. And, you know, even this podcast, it started off with the name of Paramotor Life. And then in the last episode and and now this episode, it's now rebranded as Beyond the Summit because I saw it, what it was uh, with my my friend, Greg Harris. We talked about that this could be so much bigger than just focusing on a paramotor, but that it could be for everybody out there. So Beyond the Summit, taking you beyond your fullest potential. And that's exactly what this is, is is sharing with with the audience these types of stories, learning how other people did it. So watching your siblings go through this, what did you learn from that? And also what were some of the mistakes that you learned that they made that you were able to avoid? It was mainly the real one I saw when I was younger was my brother, um, Spence. He, like I said, he started, I believe he's just started with powder coating originally. And then now he's into full-fledged, like, flipping bikes and buying and selling motorcycles. And he started it. He was originally working as a nurse, and this was his passion. So he started working through that, um, you know, doing his nursing gig and then on the side starting this. And so I saw how he was, you know, working hard to be able to make it for both. You know, he was making finding what he needed to do for money. And then doing this on the side to start building his reputation. And so watching him do that, also just watching downfalls, you know, um, seeing his work ethic, seeing sometimes if he was struggling with money, what did he do? 
and how he got through every phase of a business. I mean, most businesses, I think, typically you're not really turning a profit too much within your first five years. Most businesses can't make it past their first five-year mark. And if you can, that's when you really start getting the growth and all of that. And so um, he's probably 10 years into it now and he's doing great. I admire him for his resilience to keep going. They've had hardships. His girlfriend, who of many years, had breast cancer at 26. And he was her sole caretaker for a while. And so she wasn't working. He was barely working. Seeing them go through that and overcome it and how they got through it, good and bad, you know, just watching all those kind of things and really learning from them and um, yeah, it's his work ethic. He just keeps, it's really his hope. It's his hope and his dreams that keep him going that I believe. And that's what I see all the time, even if he makes dumb decisions sometime or doesn't make smart decisions or whatever. It's his hope and his resilience to keep going and not give up. And I do admire that. It's awesome. I recently reread a book from a long time ago, a very famous book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it, he talks about investing in properties, you know, always making money work for you and not you working for money. And you know, real estate, owning rental properties, you know, just like any investment, you got to have money to make money to start that. But once you can start it, you can turn it. How old were you when you got your first rental property? So I was, I, well, I originally bought it as my own house. Okay. When I was 20, I bought the house and I was living in it. And the way I did that, um, I was very lucky. I bought the property from my mom after my dad died. And so I did get a good deal on it. I basically took over for mortgage. Um, so I didn't have to pay full market price as what it was at the time because this was in 2020 at the biggest boom. And so I got a good deal on the house. I still, I know that some people will look at it and say like, oh, you got off easy. But then I'm thinking about the people who bought their houses back in 2007 and like since that my mortgage is the same as what theirs are, you know? And so I still have a full mortgage. I still have to put money aside and, you know, build it and be able to make the profit like that. But I, when I, like I said, I worked at that power company. I started when I was 17. And I don't really think I did in high school, but when I was in college, I would work part-time at that power company. And then I would also work part-time uh, waitressing tables and, I just started as a host and then started waitressing. And so, you know, I make a lot of cash with the tips and I just saved. No, I didn't save that money. I used the tip money. That's what I lived on. And then all the money I made from my actual job, I saved. And so that set me up tremendously as when I was a 20, 20 year old to have a pretty hefty savings account and also just be financially responsible by that point. My parents did one of the greatest things that they could ever do for me. And I think every parent should do it if they are financially responsible because it can either set your kid up for the most successful life they're going to have or it can ruin their life at some point. But my parents opened a credit card for me when I was 16. And I think at the time, I don't really, I didn't really use it that much. It was kind of those like, if you're going to the grocery store for me, you get to use it and that kind of thing. But you know, use it once a month and pay it off. And so I had a track record of credit ever since I was 16 because of that. And so I opened my own accounts and credit cards, you know, once I was 18 and that. So by the time I was 20 and went to apply for a house mortgage, 
I had never applied for a car loan or anything like that, which you normally have to do before getting a house. But since I had this amazing credit history and a high credit score for a 20-year-old, that put me into a great bracket to get a good, I got a stellar uh, interest rate and, you know, stuff like that, that I was very set up by my parents in the beginning. That's awesome. I think I, there's a lot of parents out there right now. I, I don't think they spend enough time with their children, talking with their children, really developing a relationship where their children can truly confide in them. I think that's something I, I feel very blessed that Jenny and I uh, can say that our children will come to us with everything. Uh, there's actually something out there, and this is not a paid endorsement, but there's something called a green light card. And we have it for our two daughters where they have, it's like a little credit card. And if they need to spend money, they can do that. They earn money for doing their chores. They can, if they're out and they need money, we can quickly transfer it to them. And I believe it does help with their credit as well. So that's great. But yeah, I mean, it sounds like your parents really spent time helping you to understand how money works. Oh, definitely. And well, as a kid, like I said, my parents, we not that we were poor when I was born, but they were very trying to live frugally because they wanted to save money and be able to start growing. And so ever since I was a baby, I don't think I owned a new pair of a brand new item of clothing until I was probably 16 and bought it for myself. Every single thing I owned or I wore while I was a kid was a hand-me-down or from a thrift store. And so I grew up like that. We grew up on Sundays after church going to the pottery farm, which was a pottery barn, which was a, just a huge pottery place in our town. But they had like this cute little outdoorsy section with a stream and peach trees. And so we would go there because it would keep us occupied. And we would go to the library throughout the summer and go to the skate parks. And my parents didn't spend money. It was, and that's also, I think, why I have such an, a life of adventure because we were always doing something. I remember, um, I have this ingrained in my mind from uh, the second house we lived at, that double wide, we had a pretty big front yard and I had a rabbit at one point and it had a, I had a three-story metal cage for it and I had it outside in the front yard and I was playing with it and my just imagination had it being a mansion for this little bunny rabbit. Yeah, it sounds like nicer than the home you were born to. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, just my imagination and all that really started at such a young age and even now I still, I'm such a child at heart, you know? And it's because we were outside constantly. And my parents taught me, you know, to save money and don't spend it on material things. I try not to be a material person even now and spend most of my money on adventuring and living lives and making experiences and truly connecting with people. I've really tried to the last couple of years make an effort to connect with people in conversations. And when I meet them, when I remember that uh, Eric Farewell, I was talking with him. And we were talking about um, remembering people's names and remembering conversations about people. And he said that he was at conference one time and the speaker was talking about, if you don't remember someone's name, it's because you don't care. And then they went in. It's really, it's because you don't care if you aren't, which I know everyone thinks like that. I see your face. I'm making faces because I forget everybody's names. Everybody, like my kids are like, so-and-so is coming over like who? Like, daddy, she's been here three times. I'm like, ah, I'm sorry. Or keep, people come up to me at flying. like a, a gentleman walked by me today and said, hey, I haven't seen you since Florida. I'm like, yeah, when? Trust me. What's your name again? I'm the same exact way. But you're right. I just don't care. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know for real. Exactly. Before I heard this from Eric, 
you know, it made me realize it. And it also because there was one time um, a couple months ago, or it was when I was in my last job, and they just hired a new lineman. And I, on the first day, they walk everyone around and introduce them. So they introduced him to me and said, this is Sandy. And then a couple of days later, he was sitting in our break room downstairs and I walked through it and he said, hey, Sandy. And I looked at him and I was like, you remember my name. I don't even like I don't even remember your name. And he remembered my name and that feeling that it had of, wow, like that was important to me. I felt that in me and I've now always wanted to make other people feel that way. And so even before I had this conversation with Eric, I had already been trying to make it a priority. And so whenever I started talking with Eric about it and he said that, I was like, that is such a truth. If you don't remember these conversations, it's because your brain is elsewhere. So it's not that you don't care, but it's that you have other thoughts going through your brain and you're not in the moment. And so I'm still, even though still now, sometimes I don't remember people's names. And it's because whatever I'm talking to them or introducing me to them, I had 10 other things going through my head and I don't shut it off and fully focus on the conversation to know what we're talking about. And so that's sometimes now I try to really make sure I'm honing into who you are, your conversation, and making sure that I'm really making connections with people because that's more than anything else in the world is the people you meet and the adventures. That's what we're going to be left with. We're not going to be left with anything else. Who cares about the iPhone you have or the trailer you have it's the connections you make with people and how you affect people's lives even just the smile one make one pe- person smile a day and make one person's day better and you'll have a tremendous impact on life even if you don't even realize it that's terrific teaching right there i will say this it is something that i fall short of that needs to be practiced that a lot of us will do better with our connections if we're practicing it but it's tough i mean you see someone for a minute and then two years later they remember you but you don't remember them I'm like okay. I feel don't get me wrong there's yeah. tons of people here right now who say hey Sandy and I don't know who they are yeah so I mean I'm that's what I'm saying is you have the opportunity to do it I do work on that I want to be able to make the connections sometimes it's a downfall sometimes you have so much going on in your life we all do but I really mindfully am trying to be mindful of that I think successful people work at it that it's just not natural uh, I there was a time in my life, and, and I've talked about it, and I'm sure I'll talk about it again, where I was uh, driving celebrities as a limousine driver. And first time I picked up Vince McMahon from the WWE or F, whatever you want to call it. You know, David, hey, I'm Vince. Nice to meet you, Mr. McMahon. No, call me Vince. Okay. Dropped him off at the arena. You know, like eight hours later, I go to pick him up. He goes, David, how are you doing? Wow, I can't believe you remembered my name. And then I think I picked him up two other times into the Cincinnati and Dayton market. And he remembered my name every time. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. How many thousands of people does he see or, or work with on a daily? Mm-hmm. And I'm just a guy. But who could have been making a difference in his life and you didn't even realize that, you know, he could have been getting that car and your smile and your personality and even just your energy could have affected him. And you may not realize that. And so that may have been why you remember. Maybe. I don't know. Well, I don't know. That's cool to think. Yeah. I remember Triple H was walking by and gave me a grunt. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't do anything. I'm just standing here by your... Yeah, but I really try to um, live on the... Even if I'm having a bad day, I don't want to radiate that to anyone Sure. And your people know you as just a a pillar of positivity, which is 
I'm sure that's a, that's that's a difficult thing to do because not all we're always not positive. We always keep that pain inside and we put out the, our best foot forward to everybody that we see. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always been like that as a kid. I've always been the talker. I've always been the outgoing kid. My mom says that when she used to go to, when, when I was young, we went to a massive church. And so she was in the choir. I mean, there's probably 30 people in this choir and she would take me with her to choir practice. And she said, me, as a little five-year-old, would walk up to so-and-so and say hi and shake their hand and know them and have a conversation with them and she wouldn't even know them. And so I've always been that person that never meets a stranger. And so that was kind of just who I was from the beginning. But really what changed my life and my perspective, my positivity was I went on a mission trip to Peru when I was in high school. And ever since that mission trip, my whole outlook on life has totally changed. And that's kind of why the way I am, why I'm not materialistic, why I'm just trying to be positive and get the adventures and the experiences because of how blessed we are in this life. Going to a third world country and experiencing everything that they, they deal with out there, we were doing multiple things on the trip. We were handing out Bibles. We went and built a house for a, um, a family. And then we also were staying at an orphanage. And so you, you would be, it's unimaginable how thankful these people are for the smallest things. And their their family values are so strong and that's all they have and that's they you know that's one of their core values is family and loving each other and so ever since I went down there I just I mean it's really hard to upset me now you can upset me but holding grudges and having something that affects my life daily in a negative way really just doesn't happen because no matter what I'm blessed no matter what hardships, no matter what failures, no matter what happens, I'm still so thankful for every single thing I have in my life. Um, and like even, you know, with my dad passing at a young age, I was I was 20 when he passed. I'm still so thankful for those 20 years that I did get with him and how he raised me and the memories. Um, even ever since that, even death affects me differently. I, I Death can be hard and especially unexpected and quickly it could be really hard but um especially as my dad passed from cancer you know you kind of grieve beforehand because we knew it was going to happen for two years it was a terminal cancer as soon as he got diagnosed we knew it was terminal and so you really grieve a lot beforehand and so it made me just really look at life on a total different aspect that even when people pass and everything our lives are still so amazing and so great and i believe you know, in a eternal life with God. And so that for me also really helps because I know that our life here on earth is so short compared to eternity, especially in heaven. And especially in my dad's case and most of people I know that I believe, I hope that they are going to be in heaven one day. It just, it doesn't, it hurts at times, but I know it's all right. You know, even though my dad has passed, I still have so many other people in my life to be thankful for and grateful for. And like I said, yeah. So ever since there's this one man, there's this one man in Peru that I have, I have a picture of him because I knew that that moment changed my life. And I remembered that I pulled up my phone and took a picture. But even if I didn't, I have that memory ingrained in my brain. Like I have this picture of this guy. Uh, We were handing out Bibles. We were up in a mountain town i think it was called ayacucho 
And there is one dialect of Spanish spoken there that only a couple hundred people in the world speak. And so we took a translation of the Bible on these little readers um, that looks like a little iPad or a little radio transmitter, made, transmitter, basically. And it had the Bible on it, transmitted in their language. And so uh, we were handing those out and handing out these just little Bible pamphlets. And we were walking down an alley. I almost think like sometimes in my head, you know, when they do those bull stampedes over in, uh, where is that at? Like Spain? Yeah. You know how like it's the brick road and the two, the buildings on each side and the bulls are coming down. That was the scene, you know, just without the bulls, just with people and markets on outside these doors. We were handing out these Bibles and I handed it to this older gentleman. He was probably in his 50s or 60s and he was just a normal everyday guy. He was wearing khaki pants and a striped button, uh, like a short sleeve button collared shirt, you know, and he had bags in his hand and he grabbed the Bible from me and automatically stopped in his tracks and backed up against the wall of the alley we were in and just sat or put his back up against the wall and just started reading it and smiling. And like, I knew that that changed his life and that affected me so much and changed my life and how grateful and the step back that he took from that, you know, just stepping back and being in that moment and seeing what that was and not just looking at it and putting it in his pocket or looking at it and throwing it away, but he was so thankful and everyone was for these little pamphlets we were giving out. And so that moment right there, though, made me so thankful for everything I've ever had in my life and everything I currently have and will have in the future. And so that's why everything is positive to me because I'm thankful for every person I meet. I'm thankful for every day I wake up. I'm thankful for every single thing I have. I think about it all the time that Whenever you lose money or if someone does something wrong to you, it's life. It happens. I don't want to dwell on that. And I really believe, you know, and it comes and it goes. So if something happens to me, I can be upset in the moment and it can annoy me or put me in a bad mood in the time. But I really try to let it go, move on and just be thankful and grateful for what I do have because it comes and it goes. And at one day, one time, we won't be here and all that's going to be left is the impact you had on other people. And so I've really, even I think all the time about just going into a gas station or going through a drive through and how you interact with that one person could make or break their day, you know? Yeah, there's so many points in, in my life that I, I can remember. And just like you described with that gentleman, you know, it it's, it's, gives you a glow inside you know it's like i just did something random for a complete stranger and it changed our lives for the day yeah uh, drive through you mentioned that many times many many times i'll just feel it in the moment go ahead and pay for the person behind leave a note saying god bless you okay and you know that changes their lives and it even changes the person who's taking the payment because they they see that generosity last week i had a customer call me up because a sweet little old lady she couldn't get her screens out so my daughter and I drove to her house and we got her screens out of her windows for her. And she was just hugging on us and loving on us and just really made her day just the simple, simple act. You know, it was, it was 40 minutes out of my way, but it was the right thing to do. So have you ever had other moments like that in your life that have given you that glow? Yes. So actually, I'm glad you brought that up. The How I said it comes and it goes, um, that really started affecting me when my dad was sick. And this point of my dad, you know, Whenever he was passing, of course, I remember a couple of days before he passed, I went in and talked to him and I said, you know, 
uh, when we were younger, we went to church every Sunday and we were one of those families. But then as we got older, he was working a lot. He provided for us so much. And so there were a lot of Sundays that he didn't go to church. This one moment right before my dad was passing. And at the time I was um, in a, I was going to a different type of church. Um, and they believed that you had to be a disciple of Christ to get into heaven, which is different among some beliefs. Like they believed in believers and all that, but they also believed that you had to be a disciples per se. And so it was different than how I grew up and I necessarily didn't agree with it, but I was going because it was a really great college ministry and I wanted to be involved in that. And so it made me think more though. It made me process why I thought the way I did and look at other options. But of course I started thinking my dad, you know, what has he done as a believer, as a disciple? And so I, um, you know, asked him right before he passed, I said, like, do you think you're going to heaven? And he said, of course, he said, you know, me and God are good, you know, and which of course I believe that. But at the time it made me think about what doing the works of God are and that kind of thing. And even in general, um, whenever my dad was sick throughout his whole life, I told you he had an AC business. And I remember going with him on a job one day. I was older. I was probably in early high school at the time. And we went to Home Depot in the morning and he was pushing me around on one of those little flat carts. It was a great day. And so then we went to this old lady's house and it had been a house that someone else had already come. Another AC person had already come and told this lady that it was a a ridiculous amount of money that they needed to fix this thing. And someone that she knew had been working with my dad and they said, give Bob a call. He's the straightest shooter. He's going to come and look at it. And so my dad came and looked at it and said, ma'am, it's this one little part. I'll fix it, didn't charge her. Hmm. And there's multiple stories like that. I've known as a child, my dad never advertised for his company. It was all word of mouth. And so that, I think that was huge. Wow, that's what a reputation he had. Exactly. Same as Tim. Tim had an AC business too, and it was almost the same. That's interesting. So they didn't work together. They had two brothers, had two different AC companies. Yep. Because my dad did, um, they both did a lot of different stuff. My dad did commercial and residential, but I really feel like his residential was um, where he made a difference in people. Even his commercial, though, um, the com- the restaurant that I used to work for, I started working there because my dad was doing their coolers, like fixing their coolers, and became part of the family. The owner of that restaurant is still one of our greatest family friends to this day. Um, but my dad was so giving always there to help no matter what I remember whenever my dad was sick and it was the first time before we even knew he had cancer it was the what put him in the hospital first time and I we didn't know what was happening it was scary and I remember walking to the hospital and I was talking with my parents hanging out and at some point I said oh did you tell so-and-so that you're in the hospital and my dad went oh no Melinda that's another one Melinda's my mom and she pulls out this clipboard and starts writing it down and says how much and my dad tells her an amount and I'm like what is that and he said it's all the people who've never paid him for jobs and I mean it accounted for thousands in the tens of thousands of dollars of money that my dad just he was always there to help no matter what the cost you know he was so giving and so like I go back to the how when it goes around it comes around whenever my dad got sick there were people coming out of the woodworks to 
help, to pray, to support. Um, like I said, they own rental properties. At one point, two of their rental properties had septic issues, needed full pumps, and even like one had to get totally dug up and all that kind of thing. And then also their house that we lived in at the time needed two brand new AC units. Both of those jobs, a septic and an AC company came, did them completely scotch-free because they said your dad has been there and helped us and supported us so many times throughout the years. We're going to do this for y'all. We know he's sick. We know he can't do it. And I mean, seeing things like that really changed my mind, like blew my mind, you know, that my dad has helped so many people and his impact on the world and people individually. You know, you may not know Bob Gaskins. He may not have been a celebrity. You, you may never even heard his name, but that's you. There's tens of thousands of other people that he touched on a daily basis that so they may not have even known his name. But there's been so many people that he'd impacted. And seeing that, though, when he got sick and all these people came out of the woodworks to help him and love on him. And that, like I said, you know, that was one of those things that I, ever since then, I've also realized that com kind, compassionate, caring, loving other people, no matter what the situation, no matter who they are, no matter what their mood is or what they're going through, I try to live in that. And also that, you know, to me is that's how God is and that's how God wants you to be and to be more like him is just being loving and caring and doing that you know just being compassionate even if you don't go share the gospel and stuff like that just being a kind compassionate person really i think makes a difference and lets people see god through you and so that's what with my dad and i really realized that but that changed my perspective like insanely and so i mean now i live on the it comes and it goes if something bad happens to me of course i can get upset about it but it'll all wash out in the end. Yeah, it, it's as I think about all these people coming out of the woodworks, as you said, for your dad to be there when he needed. Okay. And what's evident about him and the background story that you told me about when you were born and, and what living conditions were like, it seems like with, you know, having six people in the home when you were born, what he had, the small little apartment, stepping up into the next place, stepping up into the bigger home, trying to compete with the, the rabbit cage, right? But he always seemed to have, like you do, obviously you got this from him, an attitude of gratitude. Oh, yeah. And when you have a strong attitude of gratitude that you will do for somebody something, whether it's fixing something or replacing something or anything or cooking for them, and you do it without asking for anything in return, it seems to get paid back to you tenfold. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's like I asked you, well, what do you really want to do when you're when you're older, you know, because I don't think you're going to do this for the rest of your life. Well, you may. I mean, some people do. If I'm an employer, that's so much, the attitude is so much more important than the resume. And, you know, this is a person that is a hard worker that has a, an attitude of gratitude. This person we can put in pretty much any position and they're going to find success. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I live on that too. Like no matter what job I'm looking at or what I'm going to do, I would have tried to do it my best. I'm not going to half-ass it, excuse me, but that was, and that was also the work ethic, you know, my parents instilled in me and the values is that you work for what you get and you work hard for it. Always just trying to make a difference and doing what you can, the hardest you can and working for it. I dated a guy in the past and dating him really also changed my outlook on life. I think every single relationship, every single friendship you have in life, whether it ends up good or bad, I'm thankful for it. Now, 
other people, you know, totally different situations. You may not be thankful for relationships, but everything that I've had, um, no matter the outcome that I've had, I've been so thankful for all of them because you learn something in every relationship you have with every person, no matter it be a friendship, a, a boyfriend, a relationship, whatever it is, you learn and grow through all of those. And that changes your mindset on everything. And so he actually wanted to be a pilot. I remember he told me one day that how his outlook on life, that whenever he was born, he was born into the steps or where his family was, where his parents were. That's like, like financially, emotionally, you know, like all that. That's where he was born. And so he had the decision to either stay there his whole life or step up and become this. And then that's like grow generational wealth, you know, like if you're born here when your parents are here and they die here, you're, you start here and you can end here. And then that makes your kids start here and end here. And so I think that a lot with my parents. When I was born, I lived in a 500 square foot apartment and my parents raised me to then live in a huge two-story house. So I start in a two-story house. Where am I going to be? I was going to say your kids are going to start in a van. Um, if I were to have kids, they may be living in a van. But um, for me, it's also just more the financial responsibility how you look at life, how you live life, like just growing yourself, wearing more things, building wealth, that kind of thing, which, like I said, wealth isn't a huge thing for me. I don't really care about money. I want to have enough money to be able to live life and explore, but I don't care about having millions of dollars. I don't care about being able to have money to have the biggest house or the nicest car. I just want to be able to live life, have fun, meet good people, treat people well. And, you know, that's how I look at life. But yeah, how he said that about um, where you begin is where your parents are and where your parents end. And then you can decide to either stay in that route, go down or go up. And so um, that's always been something interesting to me. And I've always thought about that, that your decisions are what lead you to where you're going to go and the decisions prior to you as well. So I forgot to mention that whenever I was younger, we were in that 500 square foot apartment with six people. My dad was not, or my, my, my mom was not my dad's first wife. And so my mom is only the biological mother of me and my closest brother. All my older siblings have different moms. And so not all of them, but they have two different moms. My dad was, you know, he had fun. <laughs> but so my dad had just had a divorce. And so they had the shared custody over my older siblings. And that relationship was not a healthy one. And I, that was no secret, you know. She was a little crazy, if I say so myself. But uh, I got to watch that as well. My parents were never divorced. I got to see what it was like for my siblings. And also those see those interactions between adults and dealing with children and how that was at a young age as well. And so, like I said, seeing all these different type of things as a young child really instilled a lot of values in me young and taught me so many experiences that kids don't have. And I remember one day, um, like I said, I'm blessed. I've had an amazing life. I'm very thankful for everything I've ever had, but I've had fun. I've been so blessed to be able to experience so many things at my age that I already have. I, right before I moved to Florida and everything. I had a dirt track car. I dirt tracked race one time. Okay. I 
you know, now fly paramotors. I have motorcycles. I have been able to live life and have so much fun. And someone said to me one time, they were like, that was when I was probably 20 or 22, a couple of years ago. They were like, you as a 22 year old have all these things and get to do all this stuff. I can't imagine uh, that of me being like that when I was younger. And so that's also made me kind of take a step back and realize how blessed I am that I've gone to live life. I love life. And even at my young age, I've been able to do so much and experience so much and have so much fun that most 24-year-olds, I'm just turned 24, haven't been able to do. Light, traveling, living, uh, flying paramotors, um, owning rental properties, and having this mindset that I was set up for at the beginning. I feel like I was, you know, maybe like when I was five years old, I was already a 10-year-old, kind of like that. Like right now, I'm a 24-year-old. Sometimes I joke that I live like a 35-year-old financially and uh, how I think about things and how I see things and how I see the world. A lot of people don't see the world the way I do. I wish more people did because it's amazing. Yeah. Like I said, it's the not being able to get angry and get mad and hold stuff like that in me is a blessing as well because I'm able to just enjoy life. I always say that my superpower is that my laugh makes people smile. That's good. I love it. That's fun. Yeah, because what, I mean, I don't know what other superpowers I have. You said uh, we, you were talking about your life of adventure. What do you think your biggest adventure has been so far? Oh, you know what? I actually had a thought of this the other day and I should have wrote it down. My biggest adventure. My biggest physical adventure was me and a couple friends went on a road trip from Georgia to Canada to Wisconsin for a country music festival uh, my freshman year of college. And so that was like the biggest physical trip I've done. Venture to me is something that changes my soul. And so that'd probably be the Peru trip for sure. Um, that really just changed my life. But even now, every day, just getting to go on all the adventures. I mean, every single day. I can't, Yeah. We'll go back and talk about your dad one more time. And just, you know, last week we spoke with uh, Tim, your uncle. We talked about him getting cancer and how he's been able to maintain such a positive attitude. What was your, your dad's attitude like when he found out he had cancer through the two years till his passing? Yeah. So, I mean, very similar to Tim. Both of them, I feel like they, maybe we haven't talked about it, about like how you view life, but I feel like they're very similar to how I view life. Um we have a big family and everyone's like that, very positive, very outgoing, very adventurous. And um, so my Tim and my dad, though, while they were young, they adventured. They, my dad had tons of stories that he would tell me a bedtime story every night. And they were the coolest stories about their childhood. And they just really have enjoyed life and lived life. And so both of them, whenever they got cancer, their outlook has been amazing my dad specifically I never really saw him upset never really saw him too upset he would say that he was already living on borrowed time because when he was 20 years old he had flesh-eating bacteria and could have easily lost his life then and there's been two or three other situations when he was younger that he could have easily died and so he's already said I've lived my life I've moved on or like I'm you know, I've lived my life. And I think like what I said earlier about how death affects me in a different way. Like I said, 
I think it is really different when it's sudden or it's when a young person dies. But really, when it's an older person and they're, you know, sick and they've lived an amazing life, you know, for me, I just am happy for them that they've gotten to experience this world. They've gotten to live this life. And I hope that the decisions they've made and the people that they've impacted is what they've wanted to do. And that eventually, you know, if they've made the choice that they'll be in heaven. So his, my dad's outlook on it. And so's Tim's, the positivity, never really upset and always, you know, they, I don't know if Tim went into this, but the cancer that they have is one of the rarest. They are actually one of the first genetically connected cases that's known. And so they spent a lot of time in Texas at a research hospital that only research that there researches a specific cancer. So that's MD Anderson. Yes. MD Anderson out in Texas is a research hospital that they research specifically one of these cancers because it's so rare and they have some of the best doctors in the world. But automatically, whenever they found that out, they're both like, yep, let's do research. Y'all can research on me. My dad's cancer was found in a later stage than Tim's. And so the only way to get rid of this cancer originally is to surgically remove it like they did for Tim a couple of years ago. But it is a very aggressive form. It will always come back. But you don't know how long you could have another 10 years. You could have another three months. Tim had two years of cancer free before it came back. So they tried to do the surgery on my dad. And I remember sitting in the waiting room with my mom and it's supposed to be a 12 hour surgery. And the doctor came out after about four hours and sat me and my mom down. And I remember sitting in that hospital room and them telling us that the surgery didn't work, that the um, the tumor had attached to him. One second. I appreciate you uh, sharing this. I know this is tough for you to relive this horrible moment. But um, his cancer had attached to a vein going into his good uh, kidney. And so they couldn't touch it. They couldn't touch it, the tumor and remove it. And so, like I said, that you grieve a lot beforehand. In that moment, they told us that he was dying, basically. There were treatment options. He could do chemo. He could do radiation. But in that moment, they told us that, you know, that's the end. There's nothing they could do to remove it or to get rid of it fully. And so... I remember, though, my dad waking up from that surgery, and he was fine. He was okay, you know? Me and my mom knowing what we knew about the cancer, we knew what it meant, and so did my dad. We didn't talk about it fully. Um, me and my mom did. I never talked about it really with my dad, but uh, he knew what it meant, and he was okay. Uh, you know, he was still happy. His recovery from that surgery was horrible. He did not—his stomach, his intestines would not wake up from the anesthetic for two days. Mm. His— stomach i mean it was the size of a beach ball it was insane the gases just oh it was crazy but he was of course a moody grumpy old man in the hospital because he felt bad but as soon as he was out i have a video of him uh he has this thing wrapped around his stomach because they just did a huge surgery i mean they cut all the way through your stomach under your ribs all the way down to your um like down to your belly button and then all the way across your back and open you up. It is a, it's a huge surgery. So they, he had this thing wrapped around his stomach and he was getting out of the hospital. I have a video of him doing a little dance because he couldn't really move too much. He could walk, but he couldn't, you know, like really dance, but he does this little jig and he just still always had the best attitude. 
even, and I remember, <laughs> I just remember this story. After that trip, we were on our way home. I remember we were on our way back from Texas and my sibling lives in, uh, at Georgia Tech. And so we stop in Atlanta um, and we were eating at the Arby's and it was like Arby's. Yeah. My family, you know, we don't care about nice stuff. We love Arby's. <laughs> and so we're going to eat. Nothing wrong with their gyros. I love their gyros and their uh, curly fries. Uh, we're sitting there and my dad is just, my dad's a jokester. If you know Tim, my dad and was worse. <laughs> and so we uh, were sitting there. At one point, my mom starts crying and we're done with my sibling at this point. Dad, you know, this is what this means. Dad's going to die. And uh, I think my dad gets up and goes to the bathroom and the little lady working at the counter stops my dad and says, hey, are you, are, are you okay? Does your, do they, does your wife need anything? And my dad makes some sexual joke about he, how he can't get it up anymore. And that's not to use. <laughs> so he, that's why she's crying. And that's my dad. You know, his humor is... <laughs> yeah, it, Tim is the same way. <laughs> the exact same, but they don't get down, you know? And so there will be a lot of times that he was our rock through it. You know, both ways. Like my mom... I have to talk about my mom because it'd be an injustice if I don't talk about my mom at some point. But how she cared for my dad throughout that and like being his rock. But I also know that he was ours. His um, his hope and his, um, his whole outlook on the situation kept us okay because he was okay. And so um, that just changed everything. But yeah, my mom is a huge part of also how I grew up and how I am the way I am. And I've always said that if I ever have kids, I want to be exactly like my mom because she was amazing. Like I said, she was a chief warrant officer four in the Marine Corps, retired, which I learned recently is not only a very hard position to come about, you have to be one of the best of the best to be an enlisted officer and a four. She was only in for 20 years which apparently normally it takes about 30 to get to that level. And so, I mean, my mom is a rocking badass. She's a badass. She's a badass. Badass mom. I love her. She is. My mom is also just so funny. Her mannerisms, how she interacts. She's also one of the most caring people you'll ever meet. She will help people. And, oh, my gosh. Like, recently, just I can't even think off the top of my head less than 10 times times she's gone out of her way and done so much for people like I said so she had just retired from the Marines whenever I was born and then she was like this she was always volunteering at my school always she was our soccer coach when I was little she was always there she did everything we ever needed she was the best mom ever and even after my dad passed though now like she started um at like these little robotics teams for the elementary schools in our area because me and my brother did that in high school and so she started doing them for elementary school kids and started i think three three um robotics groups in our local community and now she has really gotten into the um american legion okay she's gotten way into the american legion in our community and has started she is almost three times a week doing community service. Wow. I mean, she doesn't stop. And she's always just helping others and 
doing everything she can to make an impact on other people's lives. And I don't, she's not doing it to, you know, to do that, to make an impact or whatever. She's just doing that because that's who she is. And so someone like me sees that. And I know that she's making huge impacts. And um, man, just that, that's what I'm saying. The family that I grew up in, I was so blessed with. That impact, that's like what I hoped for this show is that your story, your mom's story, motivated you and siblings and people outside of your family and your story and everybody else's story that is going to be on Beyond the Summit, yeah. it will grow and spread. Like I, I was thinking to myself earlier is that I would hope every listener on that's, that's listening to this podcast would say this week, sometime between now and the next episode that I listen to, I'm going to go do at least one random act of kindness to a complete stranger and see how it changes that person's lives and their own lives. Yeah. What a world we'd be living in if people did that. I know. If if people take one thing away from this podcast, it's just that look at how thankful or look at how blessed you are, no matter your situation. I'm sorry, even if you're homeless in America, you're still homeless in America. You could be homeless in a third world country. You know, um, I don't want that to sound grave or anything. I, of course, support homeless and want to help them as much as I can as well, but we are so blessed in every situation just to be here and be alive every day. Um, just be thankful. That's what, that's my biggest take or that if anyone were to take something away from this, I'd say be thankful. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I give you something I'm thankful for. I never had the opportunity to get to know your dad, but I was uh, thankful and grateful that I was able to be a part of a flight that honored him uh, back in May. Uh, in Georgia, where we spread his ashes, uh, you and and Tim both had some ashes, and I think a couple of people on the ground may have got some ashes in their eyes and in their in their nose, but that's good. That's why I was flying way above and behind you guys. <laughs> but it was an honor for me to 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 honor him in that way too. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. That even, you know, my dad's passed, and what did he leave? He did leave some amazing things. He had six properties, a successful business and five beautiful kids, but also the impact. And so he did leave material things, but his mission or his, what he, the people he changed in his life, me, he left me who can still live on his personality and everything and share his stories. You know, that's what he left. He left a legacy through me, through my brothers and sisters, through everything person that he's ever interacted with and those connections that he made with people that's what he left behind and so that's what I just want to do is change people's lives even if I don't know them even if it's just smiling at someone and complimenting them compliment people compliment everyone it's the nicest thing you can do and it's the easiest thing you can do uh, if you're shy or whatever um, you know it gets you out of your comfort zone I love complimenting people because it can make someone's day and it's not a lie. I can look at you and say, I like your hair. You know, you may not even like it, but I like it. <laughs> but Well, I think that's a great thing you just said. I was just giving you a compliment. I was just practicing. Oh, okay. That's all it was. You feel better? You feel good? Oh, see, it works. It does. How about that? <laughs> so just interactions, every interaction you go into, um, just think about if you're in a bad mood, and you have a bad interaction, that could make someone else's day go bad. If you're in a great mood and you have a good interaction, that can make that can make their bad day turn positive. And so 
I just really think about that. The impact that I'm leaving on this world is how you treat people and the impact on other people's lives that you make. And I just want to do good and love people. Yeah, we should all. It's a great example that you're setting. As I get older, it, you, you said this earlier about your dad. Your dad was at peace with what was about to happen in his life. I don't plan on leaving this earth for another 51 years till I hit 100, okay? But with that being said, I'm getting very close to that place. If not, I may be there already, where if I did leave this earth, my life was so fulfilled. I'm head over heels more every day with my wife than I was the day I met her. Oh, that's so My kids are fantastic. I am very blessed with my career. I'm very blessed to be able to soar among the clouds, to, you know, have the opportunities that I do. It's it's such a blessing because I've, I've too come from rock bottom on more than one occasion and now to a place where I'm helping my kids through college. Yeah. And as soon as that last kid lives through college, I feel like all my responsibilities have been done. And then at that point, I can start looking towards grandbaby times and things like that. I don't feel like I'm old enough yet, but I do know people younger than me that have grandbabies. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like I have been totally blessed in this world. And, and I think that's what everybody needs to figure out in their lives. What do I need to do? Or at what point will I feel like my life has been fulfilled? Yeah. And then the rest of it's just bonus time that you can use to bless everybody else that comes into your life. That's what, as a 24-year-old, I'm fulfilled. And I, it'd be different. I had kids and stuff probably. I'd want to make sure I see them grow up, but. It changes, though. I mean, 24, you got a long way to go. I do. I mean, yeah. Anything could happen. And so I say that to my friends and family currently because they're all, they all think it's crazy that I do what I do, that I fly, that I ride motorcycles, that I'll go skydiving, that I'm going to go over to Europe. Anything and everything I do scares people. But if I die, don't be sad. I mean, you can be sad, but I am happy. I'm fulfilled. I know where I'm going. And so that, for me, makes me excited. Not to die, but no matter if it happens, I'll be all right. Yeah. You know, I'm so happy with the life I've lived, and um, I hope I've made impact on other people's lives. And I hope that I, um, you know, that other people think of me well, and that it'll be all right. Uh, I I said recently, I was I remember I was in my car, and if I see a homeless person on the side of the road with a uh, with Aside, I normally don't carry cash, so I normally don't have cash. If I have food in my car, I will give them food. But typically, I will go to the closest grocery store. Arby's. 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 Amen. Um, I will go to the closest grocery store and buy some non-perishable foods and also some other, like, stuff that they may need, like toothbrushes or toothpaste and wipes and stuff like that. And so um, I remember I was driving, and I was on my way to Thanksgiving dinner, so I didn't have time to stop. And I saw this man on the side of the road. And um, I said to myself, if he's still there, when I come back, I'm going to go stop and get stuff for him. And in that moment, I even thought to myself, I was like, what if he's going to murder me? What if he could kill me? I have ways to protect myself, so I'm not really worried about it. But also, if it happens, it happens. Like I said, I'm fulfilled. I'm not going to let the fear of life stop me from living life. I'm not going to let the fear of something happening, the possibility of me getting hurt or whatever. I'm not going to let the fear of that stop me from being kind and compassionate. And so 
I try to look at that in a lot of situations too. I'm, I'm not going to make stupid decisions. Like if there's someone on the side of the road that needs help with their car, I'm not going to pull over as a single female. Good. But if I'm with a man or if I'm with friends and I have, I always keep tools in my car and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm in a position to help others. I want to make sure I am. I'm going to be smart about it. But also, I'm not going to let fear or any other driving factors stop me from being kind and compassionate to anyone and everyone I encounter as much as I can. Yeah. You know? And if I've ever been rude to you, I'm sorry. I hope I don't sound like a hypocrite. <laughs> I hope not. All right. There's her apology across the entire world to anybody that she's been rude to. <laughs> well, I think it's probably a good place to start wrapping up. Sandy has definitely showed us today, and that's why it's the, the title of this podcast, An Attitude of gratitude and that is what she's about and that's what's making her successful in her life so a lot of good talking points a lot of good opportunities for us to take some of those examples and and put them out in the world and see how they go see how it makes us feel see how it makes other people feel so there you go what's gonna be our word how about gratitude so go into the comments either on facebook and you can put in gratitude in the beyond the summit facebook page do me a favor, if you haven't already hit the follow button, please do that and ring the bell, the little bell that's right next to it there, because that way when each episode comes out on Mondays at 7 a.m., you can be reminded that there's another episode for you to listen to just like this one. Also, I know on Spotify, you can do a rating. So, uh, hey, give it a rating of five. You know, that's pretty good. We'll start with five. Anything less, you hated me. Sandy, Sandy just put on her, her Hollywood glasses. <laughs> I think it goes up to five. If it goes up to 10, I just, I just messed up. <laughs> Whatever the highest. If you like it, if you don't like it, then don't worry about rating it. But uh, another thing I want people to do is go and send me a message through Facebook of tell me what you like, tell me what you were inspired by with each episode, or uh, you know what, who inspired you? You know, Sandy, I mean, your dad, but is there someone out there right now that inspires you that you'd say, boy, that person would be a great person to have on the podcast? My best friend, Kim. Your best friend, Kim. All right, we'll reach out to Kim. Yeah, or and Jillian. I know you're already going to interview Jillian. Jillian's going to be on the show. Amazing story. Yeah. Amazing human. I cannot wait for y'all to talk. Yeah, we'll, call, we'll record that in the next couple weeks and try to get that in September, October, probably. So that'll be a good one. we got a lot of great ones coming up here, too. Uh, so thank you for joining. Thank you for following on Spotify or Amazon or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're, you're listening to this. I really appreciate it. Had people here at the fly-in that just listened to the very first episode and the feedback was phenomenal and I really am, am grateful for that. And, and even if they said, yeah, it was all right, I'd have been grateful for that too because it gives me something to work on. But yeah, leave me a message on Facebook of who you'd like to hear or what you're liking or what you're not liking. That's okay too. Thank you for having me on, David. I really enjoy talking to you and I can't wait to see where this podcast goes. I appreciate it. And listen to all these other stories that you're going to have on here. I appreciate it, Sandy. Thank you for being my guest, sharing your story, inspiring other people out there. All right, everybody. Till next week, we'll see you. Keep your head beyond the summit. And that sounds stupid. Good day to use that. All right. Till next week. See you guys. Hey everyone, this is David. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, please go ahead and give this episode a five-star rating. 
Also, leave a review or any questions you might have for the guests, and I'll make sure they get it. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week on Beyond the Summit.